welcome to the Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unqualified critics give their opinions and try and differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. My name is Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And we're back to digital in a weird turn of events. We haven't, I don't think we've recorded digitally in like a year. Well, we, we have recorded some digitally with uh, the cast of color. Uh, right, right. But that's because they're out in L.A. and we're here in Nova Scotia. But, yeah, we're doing a little digital recording today. Hayden's feeling a bit under the weather, and I am so busy and don't want to get sick. Yeah. So we are uh, recording digitally today over Zoom. Yeah, the second I felt like a little bit of a flu coming on, I'm like, I can't do Wesley like that. I cannot tell him to come over and record <laughs> this podcast. We have to do it digitally. Please, I don't have the time to get sick. True. You're on the move right now. Yeah, I'm really busy these days. I started school again. Um, I'm getting right into rehearsals for my plays. Uh, my first play for the year is called The Dog in the Manger, so I'm doing rehearsals for that, memorizing lines, being at uh, rehearsals until like 10 at night every day. Uh, so it's a lot, but I'm having so much fun with it. It's great. At least it's enjoyable. You're there from 10 a.m. till 10 p.m., right? Most days. I mean, some days I'm there even earlier, like the days when I'll drive um, Morgan to school uh, to take him to NSCC. I will be there. I'll get to school at like 9 in the morning, and then I'm there until 10 at night. So I spend Yuck. my entire days at school. But I have found like amazing, um, relaxing study spots or work spots, which is nice. There is one in the newly renovated arts center. Uh, where I can just sit at this nice big table and it just has like this big open bay window right in front of it so I can just see outside, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, I spend my entire day at Dalhousie, so. <laughs> well, yeah, because we're recording right now at like 9 a.m. and I was like, okay, I'm going to struggle to get myself up to do it at this time. And you were like, if not, I can book a study room and we can record from there. Yeah, I was literally like, I will, there's no way I'm coming home, uh, so I will be at Dal all day. If I have to drag my recording stuff to Dal, I'll do it. So, I feel like honestly that'd be kind of cool to just run up a pod like in a room at your school. It would be so weird because um, it would be cool, but it'd be so weird because I'd be sitting in the study room, and these study rooms have like obviously they have like windows along the side, but they're all facing like a, uh, a giant computer area where people just hang out and will do work, and so they would all see me with headphones and a microphone and like just talk. It looked like I'm just talking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're just doing work, and I'm just sitting in the study room, but with like a whole audio setup, like a whole recording booth. And yeah, I just come in soundboard, just placing it in everywhere, bunch of different wires and cables plugged into everything. But now we made this work, which I'm very glad of. And so now I don't have to lug all my uh, recording stuff and a guitar and all of my uh, school stuff to school. So, oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, my alarms were going off, and I was like get up just do it for wesley just do it for him dude i was up this morning at seven o'clock seven o'clock awake ready to go i showered i my hair's done i'm ready to leave big vibes so yeah big i vibes. it's it's very much i am i'm adulting these days i'm just it's like i am just on the go all the time waking up early but hey it's fun i'm enjoying it so yeah right on meanwhile in my case i'm out here i rented a bunch of movies from the toronto film festival from mm -hmm. tiff uh, I got to see the new A24 movie, The Humans, early, which was really great. Stephen Young was in that. Uh, it was awesome. I got to see the new Benedict Cumberbatch movie. Uh, it's like a Western called The Power of the Dog. I heard that about was, that. Yeah, that was sick. I feel like we're going to be hearing a lot about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in the upcoming Oscars race with that one because that's just that's an awards bait uh, 
performance. Like, they're going to go crazy over that. Mm-hmm. Um, also got to see Rob Savage's new horror movie, Dashcam, which I have, like, mixed thoughts on. I don't know if I want to get into them right now because we have to get into Good Will Hunting. But, like, really weird, um, really crazy follow-up to Host. He's It's like Host is about a respectful group of friends kind of quarantining and social distancing and then dash cams about like this anti-maxer or anti-masker anti-vaxer and it's like really weird um Hmm. yeah but i've seen a whole bunch of movies seen some really great ones um we'll have to get into that on another time but yeah that that's what i've been doing this week no yeah i wish i could uh see more of those movies but i'm just i'm just an actor boy so i'm look reading lines and memorizing and blocking out uh scenes it's really funny because um i my character in this play is just kind of like he just kind of gets shit on for a lot of the play like constantly which is really funny i am enjoying it a lot because i get to play that um play that character who is trying his hardest to really do good work and be the best but he just constantly gets ripped on so it's kind of funny are you playing like a supporting role or is it like like um, yeah, it's more of a supporting role. It's I'm not like main character, but at the same time, I'm not like a side character. Only has like six lines or whatever. It's kind of in the middle there, um, right. and so he's kind of integral to the main plot, but at the same time, not really. So I ca- I kind of get that nice balance of I don't have to memorize monologues that go on for a page and a half, uh, but I also get a decent amount of lines and a pretty uh, interesting role in the play. So I'm very excited. Yeah, it's like the perfect middle. It's not like too overwhelming, but also you're not like not in the play. Plus, I learned Spanish guitar for the play. Dude, <laughs> I I, even, I've I don't seen even, that video you sent me. It was nuts. Yeah, no, I don't even. I just learned. Uh, I just learned it not that long ago. I'm not even that good of a guitar player, but I was like, if I can just nail this one chord progression, that's all I need to learn. I don't need anything else. But maybe after this, I'll start uh, learning guitar a little more because it is a lot of fun. I I've realized it is fun. So. Do you have, like, a badass little Spanish guitar solo in it? I do. Like, I start off the play with a badass Spanish guitar solo, so you just wait and see. That's sick. I I'm bu- I bought my tickets. I'll be there. Dope. Amazing. All right. On on that note, do you want to get into Goodwill Hunting? We're going to talk an older movie this time around. We've been talking a lot of new movies, and now we're going to throw it back to one that we both really love. Yeah, no, Goodwill Hunting is definitely a movie that um, kind of... It's a very big part of my childhood because I remember watching this movie fairly young, and um, I think it was like the first time I'd ever seen Robin Williams as a character that wasn't animated, like the genie or whatever. Um, so it's it's I definitely remember watching it as a kid and it having a big impact on me. And still today, like I was rewatching scenes just in preparation for this, and I was like, I really gotta watch this movie again. Like it's so good. So yeah, I rewatched it uh, two weeks ago. Because I, we started talking about doing an episode on it. I'm like, all right. I didn't like fully invest in rewatching it, but I was like tuned in and I was engaging in some of my favorite scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess that leads me to like the first question I want to ask, which is like, is this one of your all time favorites? I don't know if it's one of my all time favorites. It's definitely up there. Like, it's got some of my favorite monologues for movies in it. And um, it's like. It's one of those timeless classics that you could just watch whenever. Like, I'll probably show this to my kids when I'm really old or whatever, and uh, it'll still be one of my favorites. I don't know if it's, like, top ten material, but um, it's definitely, like, a classic movie that I will always treasure for a long time. 
Oh yeah. I th- well, here's the crazy thing for me is like you said you watched it as a kid and that you like kind of like grew up with it. I was super late to the Goodwill Hunting Party. I don't know why. I don't know how. Uh, I only watched it for the first time like two years ago. Not even like really? maybe like a yeah maybe like a year and a half ago, and like instantly fell in love with it because like you know I'm a huge. I don't know if I've even talked about this on the pod. I know you know. I'm a huge Ben Affleck fan. Uh, huge Matt Damon fan, and then of course, like everyone loves Robin Williams, and I did grow up with a lot of his movies. So like, I don't know how I didn't get around to it earlier, but like, yeah, this is definitely not like top twenty five for me or anything, but it's like, I'd say top fifty, top fifty movies ever. Yeah, I the reason why I watched it so young was because like, there was like an era or like a period of time where um, I don't even remember what teacher it was, but like one of my middle school teachers or something was like in love with movies like Goodwill Hunting and Dead Poet Society and that kind of stuff. And so I don't know if I watched it in class or if I watched it just because they had mentioned it and talked about it or something, but that's kind of how I got onto it. Um, and like even watching it as a kid, I now realize that some of the bigger plot points definitely went over my head, like the deeper meanings of things. And so that's why I'd like to watch it again because uh, I'm sure I could get way more out of it, even like now that I've fully analyzed the movie. <laughs> yeah. So. When did you last watch it? Oh, I probably like maybe like seven years ago, six Damn. years ago. It's been a long time. Um, but like, like I said, watching the scenes in preparation from this, I was like, it immediately all just came flooding back into my head. So, yeah. For, so like, to me, I think this movie is really interesting before we like get into like the movie itself and everything. I think this movie is really interesting because it's like one of my favorite success stories in Hollywood because like, I mean, you, it's a great movie, but you also, it's authentic and it's being written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon while they were like broke living as roommates, just struggling to make it as actors. And I think, like, that whole aspect of it lends this huge sense of relatability to it. But, like, they were denied every step of the way, and then they had people trying to change their vision, and then they just pretty much gave up on getting the movie made, and then Robin Williams joined. And then, like, that started a whole thing of falling... Like, the movie just fell into motion, and then studios were looking at it. And it's all because of Robin Williams joining that movie, because it was, like, pretty much dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember watching um watching an interview. Um, I think it was like a Larry David interview, and he said at the beginning of the interview, he's like, "Here's two actors that you've never heard of, but you'll definitely be hearing of in the future." And it was an interview with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, and Robin Williams was there too. And so, like, it's very much a movie where I guess this kind of kickstarted their career and really like put them on the map, being like, "Hey." we can do some good stuff. Yeah. Like that moment where they won best original screenplay at the Oscars. I think that was like a big moment that just really announced like two legendary actors at the time. I guess they were winning an award for screenwriters and they didn't do that again until this year Mm -hmm. um, with the last duel, which we'll probably do an episode on in a couple months. But I think it was just really a legendary moment when they won that award. It was like, yeah, these guys are going to be around for a while and you're, you're going to love them. Yeah, no, it's, it's really cool to see that. And like I'm really excited for the last duel since it's like the first thing they've written together since Goodwill Hunting. I know. Um, so I have really high hopes for that movie. I've seen so many people saying like this is either going to be the best movie ever made or the worst movie ever made, and it's like it's <laughs> not, it's not going to be in the middle. Yeah, I'm hoping I don't overhype it. I'm not like oh it's it's the next greatest thing to Goodwill Hunting, and then it's just trash. But no, I'm sure it'll yeah. be great. 
Well, it's such a different thing, right? Like they were really like, we're going to tell a coming of age story that deals with heart and loss and yada, yada. And then with last duel, they were like, this woman slept with my husband. So now we're going to kill each other. Medieval fight swords, knights and things. And it's like, okay, big, big switch up, but I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Plus it's got Adam driver, which is some good soup right there. So. That is some good soup. I literally, speaking of good soup, I'm currently drinking coffee out of my uh, Campbell's tomato soup mug. Uh, so it's it's some real good soup right now. Yeah, Adam Driver would be proud. Also, this is so random. Um, have you ever realized, have you ever thought about the fact that your brain is just marinating in brain soup all the time? All, it's just constant brain soup. <laughs> That's a crazy observation. That's like a shower thought. It's like a two a.m. shower thought. Facts. I had a whole, I had a full blown conversation about that, and then uh, with a couple of my theater friends, and then we talked about um, how you can categorize every single food group into salad, soup, or sandwich. And damn, that's true. And then a buddy of mine was like, "Now let me tell you why an egg is a salad." I was like, "What?" It's <laughs> a controversial I opinion. I won't get into it, but I thought I would just mention that. I honestly like kind of want to know how an egg would qualify as a sandwich, but I don't All know right. if we have time. Not okay, a sandwich, a salad. That. Really quickly, here's a why salad. an right. egg is a salad. It's because it's because when you think about egg salad, the only thing that makes egg salad egg salad is the egg and the mayonnaise. But if you got rid of the mayonnaise, is it not still egg salad? All right, you got me. It's you like got me. it's like the dressing on salad. Like salad is still salad without dressing. So the mayonnaise is just the dressing on egg salad. Damn, that's that's a wild observation. So eggs are salad, <laughs> but if you have a uh, egg with a runny yolk, that's a soup. Oh, true. Because it, it's not. <laughs> I don't even know how to try it. <laughs> ah, okay. How does one respond to that? I don't know. I really don't. Sorry. Anywho, <laughs> random egg soup salad sandwich tangent. Yeah, I, said, I said good soup, and it sent us down this weird trajectory. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anywho, back to the movie. Um, no, yeah. This it was definitely like a big uh, getting Ron Williams in there is definitely the thing that really just like got all that. Um, they were able to get that traction and get that funding for this movie, and I think this movie. I mean, without Robin Williams, I don't think it would have been the same. Like, his performance in this movie is next level. Um, oh, absolutely. It, it definitely makes the movie what it is. I mean, you know, you have Matt Damon and stuff who are also a big part of what the movie is. But I think without Robin Williams, you lose a lot of the heart. But also just, like, it's Robin Williams. And when he's on screen, you're so invested. And I think if that was a different actor, it wouldn't have the same quality. Yeah, he gives such a genuine performance, like... Everything he says and everything he does feels so genuine in this movie that, like, you can't help but feel so bad for his character or just, like, feel the emotions that uh, he is portraying on the screen. It's it's so well done. I agree. Absolutely. I think – would you say this is your favorite Robin Williams performance or, or what, what would it rank in? It might – honestly, now that I think about it, it might be my favorite. I think it's it probably well. is. Because, like, I mean, he he has some amazing performances, but I think uh, Will Hunting is probably, when I think of Robin Williams, I think of the genie and Sean from Good Will Hunting. So. Absolutely, yeah. I have so many movies that I could, like, line up to in, like, my Robin Williams list. Because there's, like, Mrs. Doubtfire, um, Good Morning Vietnam, 
Like, he's got so many... And Aladdin, of course, like, mm-hmm. Dead Poets Society. He's got so many bangers. But I think when I think of, like, characters that I was most invested with and the story that I was most invested with that he was telling as an actor, it was it's probably this one. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, Dead Poets Society is also great. Um, oh, Captain, my captain. Oh, Captain, my captain, baby. And you, you, can't, rem- you can't forget uh, classic Jumanji. Oh, yeah. How, how could I? <laughs> what about Flubber? Is what are, Flubber yeah. entering your list there? Yo, Flubber is so in there. I literally have the VHS of Flubber here somewhere. I know I still have it. People hate that movie. I feel like I only like it because I was a kid and I love Robin Williams. I like, don't even care if people hate that movie. That is a classic. Yeah, it's called Flubber. Like, if you don't like a movie called Flubber, you're tripping. You get a little green goober just bouncing around everywhere and Robin Williams. How can you be? How can you not like that? Facts. That's what I'm saying. No, I, I definitely do think that this is probably like my definitive Robin Williams performance. I think you could go either way with whatever your favorite or your definitive performance by him is, but this would probably be mine. And I think, I think too, if like it might also be one of my favorite uh, Matt Damon performances. Like he's amazing in The Martian, uh, and I mean, there's so many other great movies he's in, but like. When I think of Matt Damon, some of my favorites are The Martian and Goodwill Hunting. Even though it's so early in his career, like that being his starting point is really impressive. Yeah. I think Ocean's Eleven is up there for me as well with Ocean's him. Ocean's Eleven, yeah. But I, Matt Damon is another one of those actors where he's just had such a stacked career that to, like, to sit here and name them all would take forever. Yeah, exactly. But I do think that this is probably like my favorite Matt Damon performance as well just because of the fact that like this is his first it really seems like he came out swinging or not his first acting role but you know like his first big one yeah it, exactly it really is like he came out swinging like he was just like I'm just gonna smack him with like the greatest shit that I'm gonna do in my entire career plus when you have a movie that you've literally written and then you star the main character there's such a deeper connection with the text and with the character itself and so I feel like um he just like does such a good job and also i think i remember um i I remember watching another interview where uh matt damon was talking about how him and ben affleck were like fighting on who got to be will in the movie i think matt damon was the good choice there i I, totally agree love ben affleck just don't see him as that character at all love ben affleck and i think that ben affleck does a way better job at being like that boy my boy's wicked smart wicked smart wicked smart yeah dude he's got that crazy boston accent going on in this one yeah this movie is very boston i think like there's so many scenes that show that but like the you like apples how you like them apples scene it's like Mm -hmm. just it's just so boston it's so boston and i didn't even realize too i after rewatching some scenes i didn't even realize that um Robin Williams doesn't really do like a crazy Boston accent, but I can hear it in the way he says some words, um, like the way he pronounces his A's and O's, uh, just like little things like that. It's a very subtle Boston accent, but uh, I can tell he's kind of doing a little bit of one. Yeah, compared definitely. to like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's very overpronounced Boston accents. Oh, Ben Affleck in particular, man, he's going for he it. He really goes for it. So I have a couple quotes here. Mm-hmm. I want to try and do some best quotes, best scenes from this movie, okay? As I just mentioned, the you like apples, how you like them apples scene with the, the guy at the bar when he holds the girl's phone number up. Just like top tier scene. Amazing. Elliot Smith playing in the background. It's wonderful. 
Um, another scene that I really love from the scene is the one where uh, Chucky is posing as Will at a job interview that Will doesn't care about. Oh, yeah, right. And, I remember and that. And so he's just like, you're suspect. And he's just saying so much funny shit. He's just like, retainer, retainer. Like, Ben Affleck is just doing some weird shit in that scene. And it's like one of my favorite scenes from the movie because it's just so funny and over the top. Honestly, if someone was like, yo, I don't want this job. Can you just go to this interview and I don't care what you do? I would act like an absolute fool. Oh, it'd be a blast. Like, it does not even, there's no consequences, nothing. I would just be like walking in all uh, cocky and everything and being super weird. That'd be so fun. He convinces them to give them money. At, like, at the ending of the scene, like, before he leaves, he's like, all right, you're going to need to give me the 20 in your pocket there. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's wild. Of course, there's the uh, it's your it's not your fault scene, mm-hmm. which classic. is, like, just one of the most infamous mo- moments from the movie. Everyone loves that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my boy's wicked smart. My boy's wicked smart. Uh, I had to go see about a girl is just a banger line. Just oh. a top, 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 or top-tier movie line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then... Um, the son of a bitch, he stole my line from Robin Williams at the ending of the movie. Oh, yeah. That was improvised. I actually didn't know that until I was looking into that. Really? He improvised that on set, yeah. And so that's crazy because that's like the perfect note to end the movie on. Mm-hmm. I, I also love um, another quote that I love is uh, after Robin Williams has that huge monologue on that park bench and then he ends it off with your move, chief. I was like, ooh. Oh, that one's great. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, man. So, like, there's just so many quotes that I just felt like I should mention really quickly before we go any further. But just so many that stick in my mind and play on a loop, like, constantly. I feel like my brain is just always dancing around that retainer scene. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there are some great lines and also great scenes in this movie that are just so iconic. Like, um, the whole... I love that final, um, that final shot of the car driving down the road as it, like, just slowly... Uh, zooms out or even that shot too um i was watching a little video breakdown um it was talking about the the uh parallel of the shot of the i can't remember her name but the girl that will essentially falls in love with as she's leaving to go onto the plane and then it cuts to will sitting in a park or sitting somewhere watching these planes fly away like it's very i love that uh contrast yeah absolutely there's a lot of visual contrast throughout this movie, too, of just, like, that's a good example of it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, just to kind of get into the movie a bit more, um, since we're talking about some visual shots and stuff like that, um, some of the things I love visually about this movie uh, is to start in the very beginning of the movie to show, like, um, Will's, like, home life and what it was like from growing up and his abusive father and all this stuff there's a very interesting, like, um, kaleidoscopic effect that's used. Uh, instead of, like, flashbacks, there's this kaleidoscopic effect going on uh, that kind of imitates the chaos of his, his childhood and his life, um, making it all feeling very overwhelming, like there's so much going on on the screen. Uh, I think that's a really cool way of showing his childhood and how crazy it was and how... Uh, abusive his father was and all this stuff um and it's like not an effect that you would normally see in a movie other than like a movie that's trying to make things look really trippy or crazy or whatever 
Uh, yeah, it's like a it's like an A twenty four thing where it's like, oh, look at how crazy this is! Whoa. Yeah, exactly. But they use it in a, like a super uh, meaningful way for the flashbacks, um, and also the color grading in this movie is very interesting. Uh, I was uh, once again I was watching a video and they were talking about um, how a lot of the colors that are used in uh, Sean's office are these brown and like more earthy tones more comfortable colors um but whenever we see will in like a more chaotic situation or stressful situation uh the color changes to more like cool blues and more harsh colors um and i think that's really cool that use of color to make sean's office feel like a comfortable space for will to be in and then everything else feeling more um uncomfortable for will uh, and a specific shot that I was talking to you about is the shot where he's looking at the picture in Sean's office. There's a picture that Sean um, painted or his wife painted, I can't remember. Um, and as Will is looking at it, Sean is talking a, a little bit about his wife. Um, and as he gets closer, his face goes from the muted brown of the office colors to this more harsh blue and overexposed light. Um, showing like how uncomfortable he feels in this moment. This is like the first meeting he's having with Sean. Um, and once he gets closer, as he gets closer to the picture, he eventually says the lines like something like, maybe you married the wrong person. And then Sean says, uh, maybe you should watch your mouth. And as he turns back, the colors immediately fade away from the blue back to the brown and brings him back into the world of Sean's office. Um, and so I really like that contrast of colors because it, it works so well throughout a lot of the movie and it really does make Sean's office feel like a comfortable place for Will to be able to talk about his life and who he is. Yeah, like with all the bad shit that's happening in his life, everywhere else feels so intense and chaotic, but this one room with Sean, he can actually kind of breathe for a minute. Yeah, even like the neon lights of the bar that they're in or like how it's there's constant like hazy smoke and bright lights and all this stuff um the comfort of sean's office and even the uh even the professor's classroom like the professor that he constantly has to meet with uh even that is those brown kind of uh more earthy tones and so it's definitely a really cool contrast of like the school and the counselor's office compared to the rest of the world around him right yeah absolutely I think also there's just, like, a general contrast between all the scenes he has with, like, his friends and, like, the tone that the movie's establishing when he's out with those with, the, with that group of character and then when he's with Robin Williams. Like, they almost feel like separate movies, and I think that that's, like, very intentional and, like, really well done. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of showing... The way I see it, it's showing the uh, two different worlds that Will is living in. It's the world that he... When he's with his friends, it's the world that he assumes that he is just stuck with. It's the life that he assumes that he deserves uh, because of the house that he's grown up in and the place that he's grown up in and all the people he's grown up around. Uh, it's like that is what he imagines his life has to be. But when he's with Sean, um, it's that more uh, relaxing tones that allow Will to be able to grow and become a different person. Um, so I think that's a very cool contrast. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. There's mm. so much cool shit like that throughout this movie. Like, one thing that I find really weird about this is it's directed by uh, by Gus Van Sant. I don't know if you've seen any of his other movies, but, like, he was never really able to follow up what he did with this movie. 
And that's not necessarily a knock on his other movies unless we're talking about his remake of Psycho, which is fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I, I just think it's crazy that, like, there's so much cool visual cues and, like, just little storytelling things that he does through this movie. And then in other movies, he wasn't really able to replicate that's how that worked in Good Will Hunting. Yeah, I feel like that's... I feel like a lot of that's from... Um, just, like... I, I'd like to think that Matt Damon uh, and Ben Affleck had a lot of uh, influence on this movie, seeing as they wrote it and everything. Um, so it's probably a lot of their influence that helped bring those things together. But, yeah, it's upsetting to have him make such a great movie and then everything else pales in comparison. Yeah, he has some other good th- stuff too, but like it's it's great. He definitely peaked with Good Will Hunting, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to kind of get more into the movie and more into like just kind of the characters, I do want to talk about uh, Will as a character and kind of his struggle through a lot of this movie because obviously this movie is about Will. It's called Good Will Hunting, um, and so Will has like so much against him like i was saying he's got he grew up with a abusive father and a horrible childhood and all this stuff um but he's very smart and intelligent um and he's got a lot going for him but he just doesn't realize his potential like um he's just has this as it said in the movie he has a very he's this huge fear of making mistakes and that's what gets the best of him he fears that he fears that vulnerability um, that Sean's character is talking about, and that is holding him back from growing anymore because he's scared of taking that step and really just going for it, and his fear of falling flat on his face is what's holding him back. And so uh, just not having the support from like a father with his abusive childhood um, and just being told that he needs to be strong and manly and that's it, like he, this is all that he is... Um, it just totally holds him back as a character. And, like, even his friends realize that he's really smart. Like, Ben Affleck's character knows that he's a really smart guy, and um, even though he's a janitor, he figures out that math problem. That's what sparks the whole um, going to see a therapist and going to uh, that guy's class every week. And so it's just very much of, like, it's upsetting to see such a character who has so much going for him holding himself back. Yeah. Um, it's not the world around him that's holding him back. He's holding himself back because he thinks that the world around him is all he's destined for. And Which so, I think... Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, go for it. I was just going to say, I think that's one of the things that makes him such a relatable character, too, is, like, whether... You don't have to be wicked smart, as Ben Affleck put it. Like, you don't have to have some crazy rough past or anything. Like, he's just a very relatable character in the sense where I feel like everybody holds themselves back at certain points in their life, right? And Mm -hmm. so that that sense of, like, being stuck where you are but knowing you could probably do better if you were able to take the risk. But the risk is the scariest part. And so I think that's why he's such a relatable character that has become so popular amongst people is, like, I think everybody kind of sees themselves in Will Hunting to a certain degree. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And I feel like um, something I've definitely learned uh, through going to university and all this stuff is... Um, I feel like in life you need to have a bit of like balance, a balance of chaos and comfort. Because uh, if you have too much chaos, like Will, you end up being scared of the comfort and vulnerability of like loving someone or even just uh, feeling comfortable in everyday life. That idea that you can have that comfort scares you and you 
you don't think you deserve it or you don't think you should actually have any comfort but having too much comfort you will never be willing to take those risks and push yourself and uh be able to like fail and fall flat in your face and pick yourself back up because that scares you uh that risk of chaos and so i feel like in life in general and this movie shows that so well you need to have one foot in comfort and one foot in chaos uh, because if you have too much of the other, you won't be able to like achieve what you want to, and you won't be willing to risk yourself fully uh, and be be vulnerable in those moments. So I feel like that's that's exactly what this movie is saying: is that you need a balance of both. Um, and not only with Will's character, Will is not dealing with that, but also Sean is also dealing with that in a different way. Um, Sean has he understands that balance of chaos and comfort um but he had his wife and he had that comfort and he had that vulnerability and he was in a good place and that got stripped away from him and now he feels like his life is full of this chaos and full of this um just doubt and so he his comfort was there and it got removed from him and then he feels like chaos is all around him and so I think the amazing thing about this movie is it's not only Will growing, but also Will is teaching Sean at the same time. They're both teaching each other because I feel like at the beginning of the movie, Will thinks that Sean is just an, one of those other therapists who thinks they know everything and uh, is thinks they're perfect and that they can fix everyone. Um, but in reality, Sean is just as broken as Will is. And so it's this amazing story of these two characters growing together and teaching each other things, even though they may not realize it. Mm, very well said. I, I also think there's a interesting thing that it's pretty much what you just said, but like Will's entire life has been chaos. And when he meets Sean, it brings him a sense of comfort. Whereas in, in Sean's case, most of his life since he found his wife has been comfort. And that after he lost her, it's just all chaos. And Will kind of brings him back to that, that place of comfort that he felt when he was with her. Yeah, exactly. They, they both, um, show each other uh that like i think especially with with will and sean that relationship of will coming into sean's life um it's showing sean what could happen if he gave into that chaos and gave into that um not being able to feel comfort again because i'm sure that's exactly what sean's feeling is that feeling of um i felt comfort and now i can't ever feel it again and mm. so it it's very much of will showing sean that you can feel that comfort again and you can uh feel not f your life full of chaos so yeah yeah i think that that relationship between those two is just such a complex like moving relationship and is like just such a great aspect of the movie no definitely um and another another great relationship in the movie is the relationship between uh, Will and Charlie or Chucky or whatever we we discussed before this. I was like, oh, Charlie is Ben Affleck's character's name, and then Hayden was like, No, it's Chucky, and I was like, But Google said it was Charlie. So and then I was like, IMDb said it was Chucky, so I guess we'll never know. It's one of the two. I'm gonna call him Charlie. Um, but essentially, Will's best friend. Um, the relationship between those two is so well done i think because um i feel like a lot of people see it as uh will one thing that is holding will back is his friend group 
Um, but it's not that at all. It's that Will is holding himself back um, because he thinks that his friend group is all that he's destined for. And so um, Charlie is this amazing character who is fully supportive of Will, of everything he does. Um, and that's totally seen in the final monologue that Charlie kind of gives where he's talking to Will and says, like, I hope to God that every day I come to your door, you don't come out of it. Uh, and that's not a mean-spirited thing. It's not that he doesn't want to see him again. It's that he cares about his friends so much that even if him moving on and realizing his potential means that he leaves Charlie behind, Charlie's okay with that mm. um, because he cares about Will so much. So I think yeah. it's just, like, such a beautiful friendship. And, like, Charlie's just so supportive and just there for him all the time. Uh, telling everyone that his boy is wicked smart. So, I uh, I think there's another line in that scene too that I really love, where he says, I, "I don't remember the whole scene, so I'm just gonna try and roughly quote it." But I think he says something along the lines of, "Like, I wake up and I go to this job every day, and that's fine because this is what I've always been meant to do. Like, this is fine by me, like doing this every day." Mm-hmm. He's like, "But in the case of you, like, you're smarter and you like you deserve more than this, you know." And so, like, he tries to convince him, like. I'm okay with the fact that I'm stuck in this town and I don't mind being stuck in this town. Like, I'm just going to work here forever and I'm, I'm good with that. But, like, I know that you can do more than this town. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think uh, anybody who kind of grows up in a small town can kind of relate to that a little bit. Very much so. I feel like um, there's so many people, like, when you grew up in a small town, I, we kind of grew up in a small town, but at the same time, not really. I mean, mm. East Hans isn't much, but at the same time, like, Halifax is not very far away. It's like a 20-minute um, drive, yeah. Exactly. So I definitely think, like, there are totally people I can think of uh, from my childhood who I'm like, oh, those people are going to go so far and never remember our high school proms or whatever. Um, and then there's also people who are just, like, totally content with staying here in East Hans, and that's totally fine. Like, if you... Um, if you love that idea of living that life in a small town and uh, not going super far, like that is totally understandable. Um, but I, I know f- for me specifically, like I am, I was raring to get out of my parents' house. Like I was so ready to leave, and uh, I still am. Like I, I mean, I'm living in my parents' house right now, <laughs> but um. I, I think there are so many people who are just, like, content with staying, and then there's the whole other spectrum where they're like, I'm out of here as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's def- this movie definitely shows that, like, uh, a good friend or, like, a, in a good friendship or uh, especially in this case, you want your friends to succeed and you want them to uh, go on and do amazing things, even if that means leaving you behind. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in, like, the case of... You and I, if you were like, I'm moving to Toronto to pursue acting, like, I would absolutely be supportive of that. Sure, it would suck to be here without you, but, like, you know, like, I mm-hmm. want to see you succeed. So it's kind of like this, the same thing. Like, it's all about chasing that dream, right? And, like, I know that you're capable of succeeding in that, so whatever it takes to, to get there, right? Thanks. <laughs> I know. A little heart to heart on the pod right here. It's it's the movie, man. The movie is so emotional and so Brings genuine. Brings it out. Yeah. Um, that honestly that brings me to another point of the movie being so genuine um like it's just this movie is such a real story like it's such a good 
um, coming of age story, in my opinion, because it's so real for so many people. Um, and like you said, that's I feel like that's why a lot of uh, people can relate to Will um, and relate to his character. And so I think one of the things that makes this movie just so good is because it's so relatable and it's so just genuine. Mm-hmm. Not only and through like, the story, but also through like just the actors. The actors do such a good job at being genuine. And as I had mentioned like earlier in it, like that's totally a product of like the time frame that this movie was made in their lives. Like this script was being put together as like they were both actively struggling with like what their career was gonna look like and what their future was gonna look like and like chasing their dream is like chasing the dream is like a not not necessarily like chasing your dream, but like doing what you're capable of and like not trapping yourself within the confines of what you think you deserve. That's a big theme in this movie. And I feel like writing that script while going through the same shit that some of the characters are is what made it so authentic. And on top of that, like their age and the time frame in their life that they just made this movie, just a couple of scrappy young actors struggling. Like, I mm-hmm. think that lends such a, a authentic sense to the movie. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, especially like, on top of that too, like I had mentioned, um, with them being like the two main characters too. Like, when you write a story essentially about your life, and then you play the main character, there's not much acting involved, so it's fairly genuine. I made I made a joke um, about the character that I'm playing in the play, or where um, he's very much like, uh, very much like, yes, I'll do this, yes, I'll do that, and I was like, oh, that's no acting at all. That's just me because I am very <laughs> much like a person who's like, somebody asked me to do something, and I'm like, oh, no problem. Um, not in the sense that my character is, because he's an absolute simp for everyone, but, uh, hey, maybe I also am, and it's very, it's not much acting there either. Uh, but, no, it's, it's, it's really, it's really genuine, this performance, and, like, yeah, like we were saying, it's pretty easy to be genuine when it's very much based off of, like, the situation you're in right now. Yeah, how about we write a screenplay? A couple young fellas struggling. I think it's, I couple, think it's time. A couple young fellas doing a podcast and struggling in life. Yeah, it's like rather than take it out on a uh, a screenplay and try and get a movie made, we're like, let's just talk about the movies instead. <laughs> exactly. Um, one thing I wanted to go back on just really quickly is I wanted to go back to the, uh, the friend group of, of Will. Mm-hmm. And I think a lesser movie would have these dudes feel like like shitheads you know like a lesser movie would be like look he deserves better look at his friends they're all idiots and he's smarter than them but this movie doesn't do that at all actually like they're pretty good friends mm-hmm. and they just feel like real people they're not like bumbling idiots they're just young dudes who kind of are that's just how 20 year olds behave right yeah and uh and i think like a movie that didn't have like the authenticity that this movie had would go so far out of its way to be like these guys are so dumb look at will he should really get out of here but yeah. this movie is never like that. They're all pretty great people. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't one of the characters in the friend group? Um, oh, what's the actor's name? The guy who is in Manchester by the Sea. Casey Affleck. Yeah, he's in it too. Yeah, right. Um, I I didn't I didn't even realize that until I was watching clips, um, because like I I had no idea who Casey Affleck was six years ago. Um, so I was watching clips and I was like, oh my goodness, he's in this too. But that makes sense. Have you seen Manchester by the Sea? Little. No, I haven't, and I do need to see it because I saw that you saw it, and you were like, oh my goodness. So I definitely Bro, need to watch it. That shit hurted. I watched that last <laughs> week. That, Yeah, that's a really tough watch. It's really good, but, man, pretty sad. 
Yeah, I'll have to watch it. It's definitely. Uh, I was talking to one of my uh, acting friends about movies and like our like our favorite movies and all this stuff. And um, Manchester by the Sea was one that I brought up, and I was like, I have heard so many amazing things about this movie, and I still have not seen it. So I really need to watch it. It's like I don't want to dip off into Manchester by the Sea for too long, but it's like it's so sad, but also because like the interactions don't feel like sad movie acting like characters struggle to form sentences and like they just abandon thoughts mid-sentence like it feels really raw and it's like yeah it's it's pretty great man and you should mm. check it out yeah. but it is uh it is a tough watch very sad yeah casey affleck's great mm-hmm. um so like he's one of those members in the friend group though like i think i don't know if it's him or the other guy but there's two other people in the friend group one of them doesn't really talk at all and I listened to an interview with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and they were like, yeah, he was just our real-life friend, and we wanted to capture the fact that most friend groups have, like, that quiet guy, the guy that's not always itching to get anything out, the guy that's not, like, always talking along with the conversation, but he's always there for it. And I think that that's just, like, you know, it doesn't let the guy flex his acting chops a lot or anything, but I think that that's just a smart thing to do with, like, a friend group in that is, like, that's true. There always is someone who's, you know, more reserved and not... It's not as many thoughts come into the conversation, and I think that that's just a, a subtle little thing that they did in the movie. That's that's pretty cool. No, yeah, I think it is. I think it is the other guy, not Casey Affleck. Oh um, yeah, because I do remember uh, when I was watching scenes that Casey Affleck does say a couple lines or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. I I totally agree with that. That there is totally the friend in the friend group. I think many people can agree that there is somebody who's just like kind of there and doesn't always talk all the time but is still very much part of the friend group mm-hmm. yeah it was uh that's cole hauser the actor who mm-hmm. i was referring to there um what do you have any other big thoughts you want to get into before i have i have some like fun facts that i want to do to cap off the episode but i'm trying to think of i don't any th- bigger things i think i got everything i wanted to say okay oh actually one thing before we go into the fun facts i wanted to bring up um do you know who elliot smith is the musician elliot smith it sounds very familiar he did uh, a lot of the music for this movie. So, like, the song, like, Behind the Bar, or Beyond the Bars, and uh, Angelus. So, he, d- he did a lot of the songs in this movie. And I'm a big fan of his music, but I think that his music adds such, like, a, a gentle tone to this movie that, like, perfectly complements it. Like, in particular, uh, Behind the Bars plays when they're leaving the bar after the How You Like Them Apples scene. And I feel like it's the little guitar plucking that just, like, it adds such a sweet sense to this movie. And I feel like that's what makes it so infinitely rewatchable. Not just the, the music or anything, but I feel like it's all those little things coming together. Like the music, the the authentic script, the the casting, all of that comes together to kind of just, like this movie, you could watch it. Like if I were to watch it right now, after watching it two weeks ago, I'd be fine. Like I wouldn't be bored mm-hmm. at all, you know? Yeah, it's it's really, it's very much rewatchable because it's just, it's so good. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just wanted to bring up Elliot Smith's music because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan and I feel like he, he adds something to this to this movie. Okay, so I got some fun facts. We're going to go through these because this is actually kind of dope. So for a while, uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck felt as if nobody was even reading the script of the film whenever they were sending it to people. In an attempt to get studios to pay attention to the script and actually give the movie a chance, Ben and Matt added a sex scene between their two characters in the middle of the script to see if anyone noticed. Really? Just, like, out of nowhere. Like, I think this, like the way that they inserted it was, like, he Matt Damon was talking to Robin Williams, and then all of a sudden Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were having sex. And 
they just wanted to see if anybody was reading the script because if they were, they would notice this very out of context sex scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of gross, the person that noticed it. But uh, this movie was produced by the Weinsteins and Harvey Weinstein. Ugh. He uh, Whoop. he's the he's the one that noticed. And he's like, "What's with this sex scene?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course you noticed, you Jeez. asshole." Oh, oh but take taking him out of the context of it, it's kind of just funny that they were like, "All right, let's see if these motherfuckers are even reading this. Let's just That's add throw this in here." That's yeah. Funny. Another thing that I found pretty interesting was uh, Mel Gibson was attached to direct the film for a while, but didn't seem to have any passion for it and kept pushing it off. So Matt Damon politely asked him to step down for someone who really had a passion for it. To which Mel Gibson obliged. Um, I don't really see a world where Mel Gibson directs this movie. Hey, uh, pff, that would be very odd. I, I think I remember hearing that somewhere, but that would be a very odd directing choice. Yeah, uh, just like that dude makes like war movies and like epics. Like what inspired him to be like, all right, I'm going to tell this coming of age coming story. Coming of right age here. story. Yeah. Uh, another one that's this is this one's fucking nuts. Uh, director Gus Van Sant initially wanted Ben Affleck's character to die via being flattened on the construction site the character worked at, uh, proposing that this would launch the film into its third act. Affleck and Damon uh, protested this idea, but doubtfully wrote it in. Upon reading it, Gus Van Sant said, you were right, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> no, yeah, I think that would be really bad because it does not need that big of an emotional thing. I think we do w- not need that character to die. I feel like they would put Will into I think they would actually set him back and he'd be like very sad about it. I feel like weird. that un yeah, I feel like that undoes so much of the character arc that he has with uh with Robin Williams character. I think that's a horrible idea. I'm so glad that's not in the movie. The therapy scenes would stop being about Will and be about like his friend and then it'd be very weird. So I'm glad they didn't yeah. do that. Me too. Uh this one's less like a fun fact and just something I found to be really sweet. Uh, the park bench that Matt Damon and Robin Williams sat at became a memorial to Robin Williams after his death. So oh, nice. if you go there now, there's like engravings in it and there's a bunch of flowers at it consistently. That's pretty beautiful. That's awesome. R.I.P. Robin Williams, man. Makes me sad every time I hear it. R.I.P. Um, and then the last one. Uh, this movie was originally conceived as a story about a math genius and his buddy outsmarting the government. When the producers at Castle Rock bought the script... Rob Reiner said to them, there's two movies in here, the action comedy about a reluctant whiz trying to avoid being recruited by the CIA or the character-driven drama about a genius and his shrink. After that, he let them decide which direction they took the movie. Yo, I'd watch the other... Give me the other movie. I would totally watch that. (laughs) Imagine! The action comedy about Will Hunting trying to outsmart the CIA. That'd be so good. I would 100% watch that. That's such a different movie. I would also be down for that. That sounds like something I would be equally interested in watching in a different way. They have them in the, like, they finally caught them at the end of the movie. They're in the interrogation room, and they're like, how did he do it? How did he crack the code? And then Ben Affleck just looks up, and he goes, my boy's wicked smart. Like, dramatic (laughs) Hans Zimmer score comes in. (sighs) Um, Yeah, so that's it for, like, the fun facts. One question I wanted to ask you, okay? I came up with an alternate title mm-hmm. to Goodwill Hunting, okay? If you, if, or if, not an alternate title, if they were to make a sequel, which they never will, what would they call it, all right? Bad Will Hunting or Goodwill Hunting 2, Hunting Season? What are you rocking with? Both of these titles sound so horrible. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not confident in those titles. I just thought it was funny. Uh... Uh, I'd rather the second one. Bad Will Hunting sounds like a, just a bad movie. 
Yo, hit me with bad will hunting. Bad will hunting. Jeez. Just, you know what? I just want a movie where it's what what happened to Will and where is he now? And it's called Good Will Hunted. Where, oh, damn. where yeah, Ben Affleck's character tracks down Will and finds where he is. It's called Good Will Hunting. He hunts down Will hunting. Exactly. Yeah, or or we could have a uh, a thriller movie about Will Hunting being hunted by by the Je- FBI. Jesus Christ! It's Will Hunting. Oh <laughs> uh, no! I just I, I thought it'd be funny to end uh, the episode off on on some stupid alternate titles. Yeah. So, uh, what would you rate the movie out of um, uh, five apples? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> This movie's an easy five apples. It is. It honestly is. I, I totally agree with you. It's easy five apples. Like, it's rare that I watch a movie and I'm immediately like, oh shit, five star. But like, second I watched this movie like a year and a half ago, I was like, I can't even lie to myself. Like, I instantly understood like the long lasting legacy of it and like why everyone loves it so much. And I was like, yeah, this movie's just a banger. Like instantly one of my like top 50 movies, like five star for sure. Yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing. It's great. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Um, check out the movie. It's so good. Um, but with that being said, um, that was our little discussion on Goodwill Hunting, chatting about all the deep uh, themes, all the cool color grading, all the amazing scores, and awesome screenwriting. Um, and I guess you could say that uh, these two guys are just such amazing screenwriters so good at it and they're just wicked smart so (laughs) if you guys want to hear our other uh episodes you can check us out on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts uh you can also check us out on instagram at the diving movie cast and our individual instagrams are at wesley giffen and i am at hayden kutris and it is the same on our letterbox yeah thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and we'll see you guys next time wesley Mm. It's not your fault. Oh, God. It's not your fault. (laughs) All right, catch you on the next one.